Hey everyone, happy Wednesday. I'm your host, Keshav Kulor, and welcome to today's episode of Investing for Generational Wealth. Today, here with me, I have the honor of hosting K. Trevor Thompson, our guest. He's going to be speaking about switching from being a passive investor to an active investor. And this is going to be a free-flowing conversation. If anyone has questions in the chat, feel free to throw it in the Q&A and we'll get to it, you know, as the conversation goes. Trevor, thank you again for being here today with us. If you could just introduce yourself, uh, give yourself a little bit of background and we'll go from there. Yeah, so my name is Trevor. I'm currently living in Austin, Texas. Um, I have a very unusual career path. So I actually did a video on my YouTube channel, Am I the Most Interesting Man in the World? Kind of a joke. So I started out working for Ripley's, believe it or not, in age 13. Then I did 18 years. What was the name of the place? Ripley's, believe it or not. What is, I don't know. What is Ripley's? Ripley's, uh, believe it or not, it's like, uh, you know, do you believe this, believe not believe that? It's uh, quite a famous brand. Um, oh, okay. So they yeah. had a museum in Niagara Falls. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. No, I'm, I yeah. guess I'm unaware. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then I switched um, and I worked for Guinness World of Records. So we had a museum in Niagara Falls, Canada. Also had one in the Empire State Building in New York City opened a franchise in Los Angeles. So I worked 18 years for them. And then I wanted to open my own Guinness in Orlando, Florida, but it didn't happen. So oddly enough, I opened a year-round haunted house in Orlando, Florida, did that for three years. Then I got recruited by a company called iFly Indoor Skydiving. Um, interestingly enough, at our very first team meeting, they gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, which was quite interesting. And then I worked for them for 20 years, opening 46 of 80 locations all over the world. Um, I was always interested in real estate investing, but I was afraid of toilets, tenants, and trash. So I really didn't do anything. Then I went to the no time, no money excuse. And then iFly did get bought out by a private equity company. And so the no money excuse, so when I got my payday, didn't happen. So I started researching about real estate investing and I came across this thing that I'd never heard of called syndicating. Um, and it was mostly in the multifamily space. And to me, I went, where have you been my whole life? Like I get this business model. It makes so much sense to me. Um, and then the rest is history, uh, passively invested in 20 deals and now a general partner sponsor on 11 deals. So I've been super active in the five and a half years I've been in the space. That's exciting stuff. Let's walk through, I guess, your first deal as a passive investor. And well, I guess you, how did you hear about multifamily, right? You got the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. How yeah, did so you I got the book, Rich Dad, Dad, Poor Dad, but it really didn't talk much about real estate syndication. So yeah. I knew that there was this thing that I could do with real estate. I knew I didn't want to do single families. So I actually started researching on the internet and I went to one weekend seminar where they told me I could buy an office building with no money down. Didn't quite believe that one. Then I went to another one and it was very single family focused. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. 
And then I went to one and they just outlaid the whole syndication model. And I just went, wow, I totally understand this business model. So experienced people buy a business. This business is backed by a piece of real estate. They are better operators than the other people. They have money to spend on improving the property. All of the things that kind of happen on a syndication. And I just went, man, I, how come I never saw this before? How come I never knew about it? You know, we just, no one, no one had told me about it. And so I just started passively investing. Um, like I said, and I, I was hooked investing in 20 different deals in less than five years. Gotcha. Okay. And so the seminars make sense. Now, what did your first deal as a passive investor look like? How did you meet the... So they were actually the presenters of the seminar. They had their own deals. Um, so I went to a deal presentation shortly after I joined the group. And very similar to how things happen, you know, they said, hey, we're having a webinar. They sign up for the webinar, watch the webinar, look at the slide deck, do a follow-up call, ask your clarifying questions. Um, very, very similar to how it's all done uh, for most deals. And I just, I was just... And I'll tell you, the first time I triggered and sent the money in, I was terrified, right? Like, I'm going to send $100,000 to somebody that I just meant a few months ago. But I just really became the, the I just became a, a total believer in the idea of it. That That is very scary. Um, the first time I invested was September 2020. I didn't send a hundred grand because I was 23 at the time, but I sent <laughs> an amount of money that meant a lot to me. Uh, and that, and to people I had never met in person, just over zoom calls because this was, you know, still during COVID and all of that. So that was, it was definitely yeah. scary. Like, Oh, these people could yeah. just really take that money and run to the Bahamas. And yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. And so the question did pop up on the chat there. Um, would I recommend somebody doing their first deal with a syndicator? So I'd like to back up and tell kind of what I've learned about passive investing. Okay, so first of all, you need to get some education in the space. Um, you need to make sure that you get, you, you need to understand what are they doing? What are the various real estate terms? There are lots of books out there that you can read and look at. James Kamasami has a great book on passive investing. Um, Joe Fairless has a great book on syndicating, but one point that I want to make sure that I'm super clear on is the most important thing is who you give your money to. So you need to vet your syndicators. You need to get to know them. You need to, they call it know, like, and trust. But I think it's even further than know, like, and trust. Because there's people I know, like, and trust, but I wouldn't necessarily want to do business with them for five years. I want to make sure that our values are aligned. What are they doing? What is their track record for what are they doing? Um, so you really want to vet the sponsor first, and then you really want to vet the deal next. So you need to understand the deal, right? Uh, what are all the metrics? Is what they are telling me true, realistic? How can I verify it? Um, and then obviously for me, the third thing is the where, right? So I call it the jockey, the horse, and the track. 
So the jockey is the sponsor, the person doing the deal. The horse is an asset class, whether it's value add multifamily, whether whatever it is. And then the track is the location where. Um, so myself, I've always invested in what I'm going to refer to as pro-business, pro-landlord friendly states. So I'm mostly in the Sun Belt, Arizona, Texas, Carolina, Georgia. Uh, we do have one in Colorado. It's also pretty a friendly state for investing. Yeah, I would definitely echo echo that. I think a lot of times people, the sponsors, you know, even if it's a great deal, they can take it and totally screw it up. And then on the other hand, it's a really difficult deal, right? Like a lot of difficult deals right now are, you know, barely holding on. You have a great sponsor, they'll still, you know, come through in the end. So. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. So the, the deals that are in trouble now, you know, the, the whole world dramatically changed. Um, you know, we obviously had a 2008 crash and some other things, but this last reset, um, it's just not normal, right? It's not normal that interest rates do a hockey stick up, and which compresses the cap rates. And it wasn't normal that all, all these people were fooled into a false sense of security doing bridge debt. Um, multifamily for years was doing Freddie Fannie stabilized agency type debt, fixed interest rates. Um, but because everything was going so quickly, interest rates were decreasing, cap rates were compressing. So everybody was making lots of money and everybody just got kind of, I'm going to call it wild and crazy. And they kind of threw all of the normal metrics out the window. Um, you know, normally you want to make sure you have a good loan to value. Normally you wanna make sure you have operating reserves. Normally you wanna fix as many of your variables as possible because there's enough variables you can't fix, right? Market conditions, rents going up, all the different things. So, um, but we created this space for several years where people did not practice that. Um, and those are the deals that are in trouble, whether they're a good operator or not, when you have a loan at three and a half percent interest that goes to seven and a half interest, um, it just dramatically changes the finances of the deal. Yeah. And that comes back to your second point where you're saying, you know, vet the, vet the jockey as a person running the deal then, but also vet the horse, you know, um, yeah. meaning the deal itself. So look at the underwriting, look at what kind of debt they're putting on there, what kind of financial assumptions they're making. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, super important. You want to verify things, right? So we went also through a very unusual period with fairly significant rent bumps. Um, never in the history of the cost of living has been so out of whack that a mortgage versus a rent payment there's such a delta now. So um, it's good for us in the multifamily space because so many people have been locked out of home ownership. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's just an interesting delta that uh, has created. So even though rents have gone up a lot, mortgage rates have gone up like significantly more just because of the, the delta, you know. So a house that might have cost you, uh, you know, $3,000 a month two years ago now cost you $5,000 a month because it's purely the rate. Yeah, it, it definitely is interesting times. So 
I guess that aside, you know, moving back to your journey, your that very first syndication you did, you wired the money, right? And and yeah. you probably felt like someone punched you in the stomach or you know something like that. Yeah, it was definitely a mixture of excitement and fear all all in the same time. Walk us through how that first deal went. How your, let's say your first year of passively investing, like that deal, any other deals that you did. What was that journey like? Yeah, so it's interesting because my first deal actually really struggled. Um, it was they didn't have some of the struggles that current deals happen, but it was a very deep value add. And they just really struggled to get the rents that they promised. Um, and they struggled a lot with delinquency. And then COVID really affected them. Um, you know, a lot of people did better in COVID, but this particular property did not. You know, it was definitely full of uh, service industry type workers that basically just lost their jobs because they were, you know, they were cooking a kitchen or a waitress and uh, they lost their jobs and it became super problematic. Um, at the end of the day, they managed to sell the property. Um, unfortunately, we didn't make any money, but we didn't lose any money. Um, uh, just because the, the market conditions just dramatically changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's rule number one of investing, right? Don't lose money. Yeah, don't so, lose your money. Yeah. Yeah. And, then rule and on the other side of that, you know, I had another deal. I think it was about my sixth or seventh investment. And by this time, I was starting to learn more about vetting the sponsor, right? At the beginning, it was just these people were educating me, so I thought they were smart. Then I started going out a lot more. So what I recommend everybody to do is, first of all, to do a lot of networking and find out different sponsors, find out people who have invested with those sponsors, and then start looking at all of their deals. I was going to like five presentations a week. I was probably watching another five recordings a week. I was asking questions, looking to see how did they answer the questions? What kind of things could I learn? Um, you know, it's super important. Um, and then, you know, I always tell this one story. So you find out who you want to invest with. So I found out somebody I wanted to invest with, but, and then I found, then I told you the area. So I really wanted to do an investment in North Carolina, but I was super heavy on multifamily. So I found the who I wanted to invest with, but their first two deals were multifamily. And I said, I got enough multifamily in my portfolio. I need a little diversity. Um, so I waited and their third deal was a new build storage. And it was a space that I wanted to get into. It was a person I already determined I wanted to invest in. And it was a market I already wanted to invest in. So literally a little bit of due diligence because I've been watching them for one year wanting to invest with them but waiting for the right deal so that's a really big important thing for the audience to learn is wait wait for things to be correct um and you know and and try to balance out a little bit of where you're putting your money you know so i didn't put all my money in value add multifamily so i have two retail deals a couple of land deals a couple of new builds a couple of that were bought from new builds and then a large proponent of value add multifamily. So um, it's very important. And what I like to talk about is think of it as a baseball game. The people that go up to bat and always try to hit a home run never win the game. 
It's the people that can get a couple of singles, a couple of doubles, and then get the home run that win the game. And I try to look at that with my real estate, try to balance out risk reward and say, okay, you know, I've got one deal. It's a medical center only pays the 10% pref, no upside. But to me, that's my retirement money in there. It's a nice single. It's going to get a 10% pref check every quarter. I like that. It gives me my cash flow. Gotcha. Okay. And so those are some of your first few syndications. And you started five and a half years ago. Now, where along that journey did you start thinking, hey, I might want to do this actively? What was that? Walk us through that. Yeah, so it was interesting that it came fairly quickly. Um, and I actually, the one deal that I only got my money back, I actually volunteered as a volunteer asset manager. Um, I lived closer to the property than the GP team. So I said, hey, I'll help out. So actually for eight months, I went to the property um, just to make my story kind of a little bit more hairy. They decided to fire the property management company too. So here I am, a brand new investor, um, not only asset manager, but in theory, property manager, managing the folks on the ground um, with a very tough value add deal in a very tough area. And then COVID also happens. So um, even though I made no money, I got like the most the greatest education that you could ever have on, you know, how to sort through challenges, how to really, really try to turn a property around. So I enjoyed that and started to get active fairly early. And then I'll be honest, I spent forever trying to find a deal. You know, I'm in the hot Texas market and I just kept getting outbid, outbid for two years. I got outbid till I finally got my own deal. And so I guess the reasoning behind you wanting to do it actively, it's just your interest, really. Like so you... my interest, and then at COVID, I got let go. So I decided uh, I was thinking of doing this full time, and my employer made the decision for me. And so I said, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm uh, at the time, you know, I was in my, um, you know, 60 years old going, I don't really want to go get a job working for some 20 something year old NBA. So I decided to do it full time. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. And what does your journey look like since you became a GP at like how contrast, I guess, like contrasted with the work you're doing as an LP, like what additional responsibilities so as an LP, right? you're only responsible for your own money. As a GP, you're responsible for your investor's money. Um, the seriousness of it is really, really come, come full circle to light, right? That, that, you know, we are responsible for somebody else's life savings. Um, luckily, I'm with a team that takes that very seriously and, you know, does all of the different things to protect the deal, to protect the investors, um, to do all the things, but it's super, super challenging. Um, you know, a lot of these gurus teach you that, you know, you take our course, you find a property, you hire a property management company, and you sit on the beach drinking pina coladas while the checks roll in. I'm here to tell you that that is not true. Being an active real estate sponsor is a lot of work. There are a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving pieces. And again, like I said, you are responsible for your investors' life savings. 
super, I mean, again, invest with somebody that takes that super serious because it really is. This is not something you want to give your money to somebody doing this part-time. You want somebody that this is their livelihood. This is what they're doing. And as well, that, well, that's a very good point. A lot of times people will invest not, not only their hard-earned money, but also their retirement accounts, right? They'll, they'll yeah. invest using their 401ks, their Roth IRAs. They will sometimes, I mean, depending on how adventurous they are, they will take out loans, right? And uh, invest using that, whether it's a loan against their home or a loan against stock portfolio. Yeah. So that's all at risk, not just money they've earned, but their retirement funds, the other assets that they own. Yeah. So. And there's one other thing too that I want to talk about the difference between being a sponsor and being a passive investor. Because the, the difference is significant, right? As a passive investor, your money works for you. As an active investor, your still switching to work for your money. Um, now, I always try to passively invest in my own deals as well. So I'm a passive investor as well as the active investor. But there is a difference, right? Because as a sponsor, you're trading not only you're trading your time, but you're also trading your skill, your balance sheet, your experience, all the different things together. And that's why you own a portion of the deal. Um, ultimately, the passive investor is without a doubt the sweet spot to be, assuming that you have good sponsors, right? Um, you have nothing to do and your money is working for you. And I also like to encourage people, which is opposite from a lot of other people, to think about your journey a little bit different. Think about the compounding effect of earning your money. So again, let's go back if I was your age, because I'm an old man compared to you, but if you invested $100,000, typically your goal is to double it in five years. So you double it, it becomes $200,000. Then you reinvest the whole $200,000. You don't live off the hundred you made. I have to live off the hundred I made because I still need cash flow. Then that 200 becomes 400. Then you invest the 400 and five years later it becomes 800. And you invest the 800, it becomes 1.6 million. You invest the 1.6 million and it becomes 3.2 million. Now, a lot of assumptions, doubled your money every year, never had to pay any tax on the money. But think about this. I did nothing other than vet a sponsor. They did all of the work. And my initial $100,000 is now worth 25 years later, $3.2 million. That's powerful. So as an active sponsor, I still need some cash flow to make my life happen. So I still spend some of my acquisition fees. I still spend some of my products. I have a business. I have overhead. I have things that I spend money on. So that active income pays for those. So um, there's yeah. another question there in the deal minimum. Many deals have a minimum. Um, I've seen them as low as 25000 and as high as 100000 Um what I always tell people that are looking to invest is if you really want to invest, talk to your sponsor and see if they would be comfortable letting you come in for less than the minimum if it was a real challenge and just say, listen, this is my first time investing with you. 
you know, I'd like to be able to come in a little bit less. So I've done that a few times where the minimum was 100. I came in at 50. There's a couple of minimum was 50. I came in at 25. The only time they're going to challenge you on that, and this is maybe a little too more complicated, but on a, on a deal, they're only allowed 35 sophisticated investors. So if you're trying to come in less than the minimum and they're getting close to that 35, they may have to say, I'm sorry, you either got to do the minimum or you can't come in. But I've only had that happen once out of 31 deals where either I was a sponsor and we had to reject somebody or I was a passive before I was accredited and got rejected. So, um, you know, but it's normally the minimum is around 25. There are places you can get in for less, but not often. Yeah. Going right to your early point, I am not looking forward to many things as I get older, but compound interest is probably one of them. Yeah. No, and it's super powerful, right? I mean, if I could give anybody advice, right, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. Um, yeah. And then that concept of compounding, right, continuing to reinvest your money, that's where the real way, and that was, again, that was only one investment I'm talking about. Imagine if you could do that every year or every few years. Um, the power of your money working for you is something that is just flawed that our education system doesn't teach anybody, right? They teach everybody to go get a good job and do a little bit of savings, but the savings doesn't grow um, unless you put more money in it, right? Unless, you know, so this is where your money starts to grow for you and it actually works, you know? Warren Buffett also says, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. Um, so again, when I'm my passive investments, I'm sound asleep in that storage unit in North Carolina. They're putting tenants, you know, renting bays out, doing stuff, making sure it works. I'm sleeping in my apartment complex. Somebody's uh, taking care of the tenant toilet that overflowed. Um, my phone never rings and says, hey, the tenant's toilet overflowed in Tucson, Arizona. It never does. Um, I may get some update that they had something happen or whatever, but it's not my not my responsibility. So if you've given your money to somebody trustworthy, they're going to take care of all of those complications for you. Yeah. Walk us through some of what your day to day responsibilities look like now that you're active. Yeah, so for me, I'm very active on the capital raising side of it. So my day is picking up the phone and uh, talking to people about investment opportunities that we have, um, building my database, trying to offer value. I mean, the reasons I come on the places like this or other ways is, you know, you want to educate people. So I spend a lot of time educating people. With Massive Capital, we do a webinar every Wednesday night. So if you can imagine, I missed a few last year, but 48 Wednesdays last year, I was on a webinar um, where we're talking about a topic, educating people. Um, so that's super, super. I spend a lot of time on educating and connecting and networking. Um, you also want to educate yourself, right? Um, you've got to keep learning all the time. And that's what's nicer now, being part of a bigger group and seeing some variety of deals, you know, everything from land entitlement to new build to value add multifamily to different states. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time learning. Uh, but for me right now, most of my time is talking to new people educating them about investing in single and sorry, in syndications. 
and then trying to you know, encourage them that this is the way to create their financial freedom. Um, I always tell people that are involved in this, don't, don't tell people that you're, you want them to invest, right? You want to give them an opportunity to create financial freedom for their family. Um, that is the true secret of syndications, right? People are passively investing in deals and to build financial freedom for their families. Um, it's, it's very powerful. Um, you know, so many of us, I mean, my sister used to teach me that I was the richest poor person she knew. I always had a good job and I spent all my money. Got a raise, spent more money. Got a raise, bought a nicer car. Bought a raise, got a bigger house. Um, you know, I spent my whole life spending it on liabilities. And I wish at your age that I'd learned, and I'm so happy that you did a passive investment because it's going to ultimately just a dramatic change of your life. Yeah, definitely. And I, I've caught the bug while I'm on the active side as well. So we're active on a little over 900 apartments and then uh, 500 single family homes under construction. That's so, awesome. And you're doing build the rent, correct? On the single family side? Yeah, build to rent. So we'll build yeah. eight to 10 homes a community and no, per acre, not per community, eight to 10 homes per acre in, within these communities and rent them out and we'll also build a lot of amenities uh, in the, within the community, like pools, clubhouses, yeah. playgrounds. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon that didn't exist a lot before, right? Um, you know, people actually building build the rent communities. It's, uh, I, I'm fascinated with it and uh, been watching the space for a while, but um, you know, it just, just, just society has changed, right? Um, and you just can't afford to buy your house. And so, but being able to rent a house is just a, just a good option. Yeah, it, it is rather unfortunate. That's where our financials have gone as a society. But I think, yeah. you know, on the other hand, you know, it does give you the freedom, not that it's all gloomy. Uh, it does give you freedom where you don't have to, you know, lock, your, lock yourself down to one house. Yeah. You, you can stay mobile um rent rent a house here you know and let's say austin then rent a house in atlanta in a few years keeps your options open so yeah it's amazing how covid has changed the world hasn't it that uh you know with remote officing and remote work um people have so many more options so many more options exactly yeah you can now afford from a time perspective to live an hour hour and a half away if you only have to go in two or three days a week, but then yeah, that far out, you get to save some money on the house, get some more space. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Now walk us through, you know, you mentioned that you're mainly on capital raising. Walk us through some of the other responsibilities that one could pick up if they were going to go down the active route of syndications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there, there's all kinds of things. So at the beginning, right, there's acquisitions, which is finding deals, right? And that's a whole system within itself, right? And depending on the property. So you're either looking for smaller properties, not big markets, and so therefore you're going to do a direct owner campaign. But nobody with 100 plus units in a major city is going to sell to you as very rarely, right? It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but it, it doesn't happen. So then you need to do what you call your broker relationships, right? So that's convincing the brokers 
that you need to, you know, they need to send you their best deals. Um, one thing that's super hard is they only send their best deals to the people who have already bought something, right? So don't be fooled. At the end of the day, um, you know, they have their hierarchy of who they think can close deals. But so definitely deal acquisition is really important. And then obviously a huge importance and a lot of people spending a lot of energy in this space is underwriting a deal, right? Because underwriting a deal is very complicated. So one of the things when you're looking at people to invest with, do they know that market well? Um, you know, because you can make a lot of assumptions about a market. So for example, there were a lot of syndicators in Dallas that kind of got priced out of the market and they went to Oklahoma City and started buying it. But the market is totally different in, in Oklahoma City than it is in Dallas. And then even think just within a city. You know, you're the wrong side of the tracks, the right side of the tracks, where people are, where crime is. So there's underwriting is so much more than just popping a bunch of numbers into a thing, right? You really want to make sure that you're giving your money to people that really know their market, right? They understand their market. They've been in that market for a while. Um, they got to do it. So then, of course, once you underwrite a deal and you find it, you need people on your team that can fulfill different things. So for example, if you're trying to buy a property, you need somebody who has experience to be able to get a loan and has the net worth to be able to get a loan. So when you're building your team, uh, you know, it's no good finding a deal and then you can't take it down. It's like the dog chasing the car, right? You can bark and chase a car all day, but if you don't have the resources to take the car down, um, you're not gonna be able to take the car down. So on that, you need people with the experience bucket, with the net worth bucket, with the ratings to be able to get a loan. Um, and then obviously there's a huge amount of due diligence that goes into after you have a property under contract, right? So depending on where the property is, what the property, you need a full understanding of everything you're buying, right? So you're going to be walking every unit, climbing on every roof, hiring plumbers to scope every plumbing line, hiring electricians to look at the electrical lines, hiring HVAC companies to look at the HVAC companies, hiring roofers to look at the roofs, foundation folks. So there's a whole series of group of people. Now you can pay experts to do those things within a space, um, but it's a certain huge responsibility because what you don't wanna buy is buy something and find out that it has something that's quite expensive that's not in your budget. And then once you buy the property, you will normally have a property management company that's going to operate the company. Um, property management companies are wonderful, but one thing I want to make sure everybody understands, their job is to do the least amount of work for the most amount of money. That's their job. Um, they want to make sure that they, they're just not there spending, you know, because they only get paid a percentage. They only get some of their expenses back. And so you need to manage those people, right? You need to be creative with them. You need to challenge them. You need to direct them. Because again, at the end of the day, if I say your rent's going to go up $200 and you go, I've been living here for, okay, we'll only do $50. We just didn't hit our business plan, did we? Um, and it's hard for the person sitting behind the desk. I've known you for two years. You've been a wonderful tenant, you know? Um, so those things are all challenging. So you've got to make sure that somebody knows how to run the business well.
And then while you're doing all that, all the other people are still involved. So the folks that were watching the numbers are still watching the numbers. The folks that were watching the facility, looking at the things, they're managing the contractors, they're managing the bids, they're managing the works being done, uh, on making sure that the quality happens. Um, and you know, as somebody who's involved in a deal, you need to visit your properties regularly. You need planned visits, surprise visits, day visits, night visits, and weekend visits. Don't have some sort of syndicate that says, yeah, I go by my property twice a year. I live in New York City and my property's in Kalamazoo um, and I go there twice a year, I'm, but I talk to my property manager every other day. Well, it's not the same thing, right? Um, walk the property at Friday night at midnight and see what the tenants are living through. So there's a lot to do on that active side. And then obviously for myself on the investor relations side, it's making sure that good updates go to investors, that they get proper reporting on a regular basis. They have regular webinars. They get their questions answered. Um, and then, of course, the most important thing is sending the money, right? That's the funnest part of this whole thing. When you actually have a deal, you hit your business plan, and you're able to make those distributions to your investors. And then the final biggest part of it is managing it to the exit, right? determining when is the best time to sell. And that has to do a lot with the property performance and the market conditions, right? So you're constantly testing the waters going, okay, when should we get put this on the market to get the top dollar? Because all of these deals, the majority of the money still made on the sale. Yeah. No, that's definitely a lot. It is, it's a lot of work that we go through um, Yeah, that we don't, you know, necessarily post about or tell our investors about. And, no, and it's, and, and that, that 2% acquisition fee is not paying for it. Um, yeah. You're, 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 you are losing money running a property where your profit is, is you do have a percentage ownership of the deal, right? So your time and your energy. And that's why I like deals that the way they're structured there, there's like kind of an investor approach first. So, you know, there's, they may have a prep payment where the investors get paid the first percentage of the money. And then the general partnership team gets paid on performance, doing a good job, meeting the minimum payments, and then having a good exit. Um, you always want to make sure that your sponsors are fairly compensated, but it can all come based on their performance as well very different than the stock market. Um, your broker gets paid whether he makes you or loses you money. <laughs> you know, on your retirement fund that you have with some sort of thing, they get paid whether you make money or lose money. Um, their fees come. So that's why I like real estate investing because it really does align people's financial interests. Yeah. So we just walked through there, all the various hats that a active investor could wear, like through the entire process from yeah. finding the deal to underwriting it, doing your due diligence that it is a good deal, then talking to investors to close on the deal. Then once you've closed on the deal, staying in touch with your investors and managing the properties. What does that process look like for passive investors? What is their timeline through an investment and their involvement look like? So it really depends on kind of the, what, what deal you're in. So some of our development deals are two to three years. 
Um, some of our multifamily deals are, you know, five to seven years. So it really depends on what, you know, the business plan has been promised. And a good sponsorship team should tell you where you are on that plan and how things are going and what, what's happening on that plan. Um, so it's very important. But, you know, for a passive investor, it's it's uh, wake up in the morning and there's some new money in your bank account. I mean, th that's what it should be. That's that's all of our goals as a passive investor. Um, if you have to chase your sponsors, sadly to say you've invested in the, the wrong deal. Yeah. I think to shed a little more light on that process, right? Like, let's say I have a new investment opportunity or uh, Trevor has a new one. Typically how it works for passive investors is we'll send you out an email and it'll be like, Hey, here's the opportunity. Here's the real estate. Here are the returns. We'll host a webinar and potential investors will ask their questions that they have about the opportunity. And if they like what they hear, then they move forward. They start signing legal documents that we have prepared by our SEC attorneys because our investments are monitored by the SEC, right? And typically, you know, if times are good, no one calls the SEC and you don't have to worry about it. But if times are bad, like they are now and will probably get worse here in the next three, six months, the SEC will have a lot of business, uh, good business on their hands. So we draft legal documents with our SEC attorneys. And at that point, you, you know, sign on the dotted line. If you need to prove, provide proof of net worth or income, which for some of these investments you do, then you do that. And then you submit your investment. And there's typically three ways to invest, right? There's cash. Number two, there's using a retirement accounts, which we touched on a little earlier. And then three, using leverage, right? Taking out a HELOC, a loan against your home or against your stock portfolio and investing using that. And then at that point, once you've made your investment, it really is like we've been talking about very hands-off. You'll get monthly or quarterly updates and distributions as well. And it really is that mailbox money. Not, I don't know anyone, uh, people do. No one gets mailbox money anymore, but uh, ACH exactly. money usually. ACH money, just, it's like a second paycheck, right? But for not doing any extra work, right? You're not trading your time in for money. You're trading your money in for more money. And then every year around this time, actually, you should get your K-1 tax forms from the investment as well. Yeah, but and again... Well, one of the things we haven't touched about is the beauty of real estate investing is obviously the tax advantages, um, depending on your personal financial situation, how much of that depreciation you can actually earn, learn, earn or be able to use. But normally, the way I like to explain it to people, if you have a full-time job, the passive losses should offset your passive income. So in theory, that's one of your few investments that can set offset your passive income. Um, there's lots of ways that you can do it, but it is by far the most tax efficient way for you to invest. Yeah. I would say to go a little bit into that, uh, if, you're, if you or your spouse is a real estate professional, you can use those losses against your income, uh, especially if you file jointly. So a lot of times yes. what people will do is they'll have a spouse, you know, quit their job, just buy a rental property, 
and classify as a real estate professional that way so that when they invest, you know, you can say, hey, you know, one of us manages a rental property, we're a real estate professional, we'll also invest in the syndications and you can take those losses against your joint income because one of you is, you know, uh, managing a property. And then the other one, again, you could be doing whatever it is you do typically, right? Engineer, consultant, doctor, whatever. Yeah, but it, even if you're not, it's still the power of the depreciation and it, you, you can continue to roll it over till it's all gone too, which is uh, another beautiful thing. So it will offset any passive income coming along. Yeah. So let's Super power. Uh, get into the last segment here where we compare and contrast, you know, why would someone want to stay passive? And why would someone want to go active, in your opinion, Trevor? Yes. Yeah, so, again, I encourage people to stay passive as long as they can so they can get that power of the compounding of their money, right, where they don't need this money to be able to pay their bills. You know, so in theory, work, save, invest, work, save, invest, keep repeating until you no longer need to work. Um, so in other words, you have enough things happening. You have enough to, to offset that portfolio. And it's also a personal decision. Um, a lot of people, you really need to make sure that you understand that you're responsible for people's life savings. Um, that's not for the faint of heart. Um, and you're also running a real business. A lot of people don't think of it that way. But real estate investing, we're buying a business that happens to operate with inside of real estate. Um, so you're really buying a business and the success of real estate investing is improving the business, right? So it may be improving the assets, you can charge more rent, but at the end of the day, you're running a business. And so you need to be pretty good at running businesses, pretty good at maximizing things, pretty good at uh, you know efficiencies and managing expectations and doing things. Um, because again, the bigger the property, the bigger the, the the risk in the delta, and you want to make sure that you're always protecting your investors' money. The benefits, yeah, getting you know superior risk-adjusted returns, the passive checks, ACH checks that you get, the tax benefits, those are all great. The only reason that I can think of that someone would not want to stay passive is if they actively love doing one of those things that we mentioned earlier we talked about the tax advantages which are clearly huge um, yeah. and to make sure people understand so on a typical real estate investment you earn a dollar 70 cents of that dollar goes to the passive investor and 30 cents of that dollar is on a 70 30 split gets split up to the partners to compensate them for their work so that 30% can be a significant portion of cash, especially on a larger deal. And so, you know, it will provide you with, with a little bit more growth for your activities on your side. There's no doubt about it um, that real estate investing can, can, you know, on an active basis can be very lucrative. Um, you just got to make sure that you're ready for the work. Um, you know, don't believe the gurus out there that tell you, you just go get a, you, you know, you find an apartment, you buy it, you raise a bit of money and you don't have any work. You have a lot of work, <laughs> but it's, it's so rewarding work. 
Like when you think about making communities better, when you think about what you guys are doing, you find a place where there's a housing shortage and you create nice homes that people can still live in and rent because they can't afford to buy. I mean, what's better than that? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, right? Providing safe housing for our fellow citizens um, at a fair market value that's well run, that the best people who invested in it can create financial independence. I mean, it's like the trifecta of wins, right? It's so rewarding when you're able to do all of those things. Um, you know, it's, I just, it's just so rewarding. Are there any other reasons, one, right, you find it rewarding, and two, you just really want to pick up a, you know, a second job and supercharge your career, right, or your growth? Yeah. Any, any other reasons you could think of that someone would want to switch from being passive to active? I mean, I think that's the main reasons to do it. Um, you know, you just, you, you love it so, so much, you want to make it your job. Um, you know, I mean, when I got let go, it was no thought that I'm going to, my wife says, you're going to go get a real job someday, you know, all you do is sit in there and talk in your computer all day. I don't get it. Uh, but um, I love it. And I love educating people. I love helping people. And, and so if you have that passion to do that, um, it can be super rewarding. I mean, it's, it's super rewarding to be able to see your hard work, again, create better homes for people and make people's financial dreams come true. It's, it's just so rewarding. Yeah. So I think we covered the upsides of both passively investing and actively investing. And we covered the downsides, or I guess what you're missing out on when you're passively investing, right? Like you don't yeah. get to actively involved. What are the downsides yeah. or the risks associated with being actively involved? I couldn't imagine how painful it would be to lose my friend's money. That's my risk. Um, how painful that would be, right? And and the the amount that that would bear on my 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 conscience and my soul, right? Making sure that I did all of those things correctly. Um, to me, that is the that is the downside that nobody would want. I would hate to have to pick up the phone and say, "I'm sorry, I lost your money." Um, that's the biggest downside. And, and of course, you're running a business and anytime you're running a business, there's complications and stress, right? Things happen. Somebody gets shot at your apartment. There's a fire. There's a this, there's a that. I mean, at the end of the day, you were running a, a very active business. So there are going to be things that do go wrong. You just want to make sure that you have a plan in place for everything. Yeah, I would definitely say we'll leave moral, I guess, yeah, we'll leave moral conscious for last, but I think one is the easiest one that maybe not enough people talk about is the legal implications, right, of if you're signed on as a general partner, then you are, you know, sometimes your net worth will be on the line, yeah. right, assets will be on the line. For passive investors, let's say you invest 50 grand, at most, you will lose 50 grand. I don't. That's correct. You have no other liabilities. Uh, the whole thing could go horribly wrong. Um, and worst case scenario is loss of your initial investment. But there's yeah. no liabilities. There's no anything. Nobody can, even though your investment is backed by that asset, 
you do not have any responsibilities um, for anything. Yeah, but as an active sponsor, an active investor, even you if you have responsibility. Yeah, your your downside is significantly more than just the 50K that you put in. Yeah. I think that's one thing. Uh, second, and obviously that is up to events that are 100% not in your control, right? Like like Trevor said, if someone gets shot on your property, a fire, a hurricane, right? Obviously that's where insurance, random types of insurance come yeah. out. I think, let's see, second would be obviously legal risk, right? Again, as a yeah. passive investor, you're only responsible for your- well, you're, As an active, you're responsible for everything, right? So anything anything and everything is your responsibility and you're charged to make sure that it's done right. Um, you know, and, and you'll have professionals on your team, right? You'll have SEC attorneys, you'll have regular attorneys, real estate attorneys, you'll have insurance brokers, um, you'll have all of those things. So. Again, somebody who's doing this as a business full time, they understand that, right? They're hiring contractors that have licenses and workers comp and all of these things. You just, you know, that that that's just a given that th those are the sponsor's responsibility. Yeah. And then lastly, like you said, I mean, I think it's really those three things. There's the financial risk, the legal, your the financial risk as an active investor, your legal risk. Yeah someone decides to call the SEC, you could go to prison for, you know, mis like fraud or, you know, misrepresenting the facts, you know, on like a very shallow level, like using invest, what should be investor distributions to pay for your Lambo uh, yeah. on a very shallow comic level. But, and then lastly is that moral conscience. Like you said, Trevor, it's yeah. a lot of people like rightfully so are very scared to invest. Uh, stock market syndications, whatever it is, because there's yeah. just a lot of downside involved, right? And you and I talked about when we made, first made our passive investments, it felt like, you know, like a sinking feeling, like, oh, this, <laughs> money, this money just like, poof, it's out of my account. Then you have to not only bear that for your own capital, but you have to bear that for your investors as well, that weight as an active yeah. investor. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, Trevor. Any parting thoughts for our audience? Don't wait to invest. Invest and wait. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. That, that's that's my parting thought. Yeah. yeah. It's an awesome way to build your wealth. We've definitely spoken about a lot of scary things, but if you do your due diligence correctly and find the right people, then it really is one of the best decisions you can make. Yeah. Um, so awesome. awesome thank you yeah thanks Trevor and thank you everyone for tuning in and until next week <laughs>